that I, I believe is from the Lord. But, but first, I know we normally have music and worship, so we don't have that this morning. So I just want to invite you to take a moment uh, with me right now and just have a word of prayer. And, uh, and like wherever you're at, whether it's in your living room or if you're, if you're somewhere else, just pause for just a moment and just have a word of prayer with me. Let's also remember everybody that's sick and let's pray that there is a godly covering over our congregation right now as we move into this important uh, season in the life of this church. Amen. Just join with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, right now, we come before you, God, and I ask God for everybody that's listening, in their, whether it's in uh, their living room or whether they're driving in their car or wherever they may be, God, I pray for a special touch of your spirit in their life, God. Lord, and we pray right now that you would open our hearts to your word, God, that you would let us receive and to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour, God. I pray for a godly covering right now over our congregation, Lord, over everybody that may be sick, God. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would just let your name and your word be glorified in this season, God. In Jesus' name we pray, and we thank you, and we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8. I just have a word. I just want to talk for a few minutes this morning. Uh, reading just one verse says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. I want to talk to you for a few minutes on this title. It's time to step out. It's time to step out. So Abraham was called out of a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. The Bible calls it the Chaldees or the Chaldees, but it's the same, same thing, Ur of the Chaldeans. And Ur was the major metropolitan city located in ancient Mesopotamia. It was founded in, or in and around 3800 BC. I think they've got a slide there that they're going to show uh, of, of the ancient ruins of that city. Its population was around 65,000 people. It had a huge temple covering about 3,900 feet by 2,600 feet. And you can kind of see that rising up in the background, that temple. That's the temple that was dedicated to, uh, to a god by the name of Nana, which was the moon god. And Nana or Nana, no, that's not what your, your grandkids call you, Nana. This was an actual god, uh, apparently, that they served. It was the main god that they served in Ur of the Chaldeans. It was called Nana, the moon god. And, and then there's another one where it shows an artist rendering of what the temple might have looked like. It would have looked something like that. You can see that it was very large, it was very big, and it would have been, and this, this is based on, uh, you know, the art, a, a best guess, basically, from, and the, from the artist rendering of that and from excavations that have been made of that temple. But from the beginning, Ur was an important trade center, owing its owing to its location at a pivotal point between the Tigris and the Euphrates, where it runs into the Persian Gulf. Archaeological excavations have substantiated that early on, Ur possessed great wealth, and the citizens enjoyed a level of comfort unknown in other Mesopotamian cities. It was a city of great importance during that time, and was considered a city of learning and culture. So Abraham, whose name was called Abram at that time, lived in this great city of wealth and culture, and God told him to leave and did not tell him exactly where he was even going yet. Now you can imagine living in, in, in a city with huge walls, you know, that had a, 
that had military might, that had a great temple inside of it, that had 65,000 people living in it, you know, that would have been culturally sound and not to mention economically sound as well because of the major trade areas that would have, you know, that, that would have uh, ventured through it. But God said in Genesis 12 and verse 1, that the Lord had said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you. I'll curse them that curse you. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham had to step out of all that he knew and all that he had before stepping in to what God had prepared for him in order for him to walk in. And so long as Abraham cherished the safety and security of his hometown, he would never fully be able to trust God in the way that God wanted him to trust him in. So God was going to put Abraham in places where his only hope was to, where, he, where his, his, his only choice was to put his faith and his trust in God. Now, again, you know, you can imagine, and I wanted to show you what that city looked like because it makes it more real to us. That, you know, this was a city that was as large or larger than Liberty, Missouri. And outside of that, you would have had to travel for miles before you would have came to anything that resembled any kind of civilization at all. And God basically said, go that way, and I'll tell you when to stop walking. So God was putting Abraham in places where he was away from the safety and security of that city so that he could put his faith and trust in God so that his trust would grow deeper in the Lord. Now, why would God do that? Was God intending to destroy him or to put Abraham through some stupid, silly test? No. But to build his faith and to make Abraham into what God needed for him to be. As I said, there were thousands that lived in Ur in that day, but only one man was called to step out. And that man was Abraham, 65,000 people. And you could look over the broad scope of the earth in that day even and say, well, there were millions of people that lived in, in that day. And yet only one man was called to step out. Now, I don't know if Abraham considered himself lucky. I'm sure that he didn't have, at first at least, a yay me moment where God is calling me to step out into this. I have no idea where it's leading. I don't know where it's going. And furthermore, how did he persuade his wife to do that? To be called to leave everything he knew and trusted and trust his fortune and safety into the hands of an unknown God, much less one that did not even have a temple built for him yet and, generally speaking, was not widely worshipped in that area. But in retrospect, Abraham was special to be called out by God in that way to be trusted by God, to take that step of faith that nobody else was taking in his day. How did he feel the day he said yes? Now, what you don't read in the text, or what you may not, or you may have overread in the text, is that the Bible says, now God had said to Abraham, or God had said to Abraham. It doesn't say God spoke to Abraham, and then that very moment he just went out and did it. But it said God had spoke to Abraham. So perhaps there was a time period in which God was dealing with Abraham about stepping out, about doing something 
you know, you know, about doing something else. And finally that moment came where he said yes. Packed up everything he had onto the back of his camel and told his wife, honey, we're selling everything and we're headed west. And Sarai probably said, well, where are we going? And Abraham said, I have no idea yet. Now, can you imagine? I don't know how your wife would react for all the married guys, but my wife would probably have a thing or two to say about that and would need some, some extra uh, prayer and fasting to go into that. I'm sure as, as any wife would have. But Sarah's faith was also being tested. Furthermore, what did his neighbors and friends all think? What about his family? Uh, whenever Abraham approached them and he said, God spoke to me and said and told me to leave this city. And they may have said, well, Abraham's hearing voices. That's crazy. And there are always the naysayers and doubters. Anytime God is leading you to step out and do something that you've never done before. Furthermore, it's always scary going where you don't know and stepping out of your security and your comfort zone. Because there were many others in the Bible that were also called that. It wasn't just Abraham. They were called by God to step out of their comfort zones. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, which was at that point the capital of Assyria. Uh, Daniel was called to be a prophet in Babylon and be a eunuch in the king's court. There was Rahab, uh, Rahab the harlot, in the story of, of Joshua marching around Jericho. Mary, the mother of the Lord, having a child by the Holy Spirit in a time when they stoned adulterers. There was Peter who was called to step out of the boat in the midst of a giant storm. All of the 12 disciples had to leave their livelihood and follow this Jesus of Nazareth. Finally, but certainly not least, there were others. But there was also Paul the Apostle who left his peers and a position in the Sanhedrin court to follow a voice that he heard on the road to Damascus. And that voice would take him far away into the world of the Gentiles that he once despised in order to preach the gospel and ultimately would lead him to being imprisoned in Rome where he would eventually be beheaded for the gospel. And there were many others. But those who never follow God's call to step out will never achieve truly great things. Staying in our comfort zones is always easier than trusting God with the unknown. And let me say this. We've been in this building for several decades. These altars are filled with many decades of tears of intercession and tears of repentance and many tears of joy. These pews have many stories to tell. And oh, if these walls could talk, what stories they too would tell. Stories of backsliders praying back through, messages preached and how they impacted, anointed songs that have been sung, weddings and funerals, tears and rejoicing, tearful goodbyes and happy regatherings. Stories of good times, tough times, Times of struggle and many times of achievement. Stories of very large congregations with people receiving the Holy Ghost and then smaller ones. And then ones, others that barely survived had it not been for the grace of God. And then stories of revival and restoration. But now, God is calling us as a church, as a congregation, as a people to step out. And like Abraham was called to do, step out of all that is familiar and into a place of promise. Because we look at it as the unknown, but God looks at it not as the unknown, but as a promise. God never called what Abraham was called to do 
God never said step out into, into a place that you don't know. He just said step out and I'll tell you where to go next. And that was the promise that Abraham had. We tend to be sad at the struggle of the journey and how it stretches our faith. But God rejoices at the promise because he sees the end from the very beginning. Here's something for us to consider this morning. You know, if you've ever pondered this, how big is the earth? Well, it's about 3,958 miles in radius. The surface area covers about 196.9 million miles. Its population is about 7.7 billion people as of today. It weighs about 13 quintillion pounds if it were to be measured in weight. Now, to put that in perspective, that's the number 13 and then 24 zeros behind it. So that's million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, and then quintillion. Now, even one billion is more than I can ever imagine, much less a trillion or a quadrillion or a quintillion. That's a lot of zeros. And let me tell you, that's just our Earth. That's not considering the weight of, of other planets that are much larger than Earth. Some of the planets in our own very solar system are 100 times larger than the Earth. The sun itself is many times larger than the Earth itself. And there are planets and stars that we have that are larger than the sun, even within our own solar system, just within the Milky Way galaxy. Now, if you put all of that together, if it were possible, I don't suppose that, that, that it's mathematically possible. Maybe it is. I don't know. But, but if you could weigh the entire weight of the cosmos... If just weighing our own planet stretches our numerical system, it would far exceed what the weight of the entire cosmos would be. Suffice it to say, it would be astronomically large and incalculably huge. And yet, the Bible says this from Hebrews 1 and verse 3, "...who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person..." And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I want to draw your attention to those words that all things are upheld by God's word. That the earth is suspended in space on nothing. Just based on the laws that God's own word put into effect. That the earth spins around on its axis and circles the sun uh, once every 365 days. That all of the laws, the scientific laws that are put into place and, and are upheld, are upheld by God's holy word. How strong is God's word? Strong enough to uphold the entire cosmos. My friend, let me tell you, God's word can be trusted. And Jesus said this in Matthew 24. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. There's going to be a time when this earth is going to be rolled up like a scroll. And, and God is going to remake everything. And Jesus said, when that happens, my word is still going to stand. And it's the only thing in this earth that is never going to be burnt up is my word. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Peter was with the Lord on that mount where Jesus was transfigured when his raiment became white as snow. So that the Bible says no fuller on earth 
could whiten them. And, and they saw Moses and Elijah, which also came down. They talked with Jesus, and Peter said, wow, it's good that we're here. Let's build a temple, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, and then there was a voice from heaven. The voice said, this is my son uh, in whom I will. Please hear him. The same voice that spoke at the baptism of the Lord that probably all the onlookers would have heard as well. Peter said, we heard that voice. Now, if we were walking down the street and you needed direction about a certain particular thing in your life, and you prayed for the audible voice of God to be heard so that God would immediately direct you uh, into wherever or whatever you were praying about doing, and you heard the audible voice of God, not the voice in your heart, but you heard the audible voice of God say, go do this, you would probably go do that, I hope. Most of us, though, will never hear the audible voice of God. But let me remind you that Peter did hear that audible voice. And Peter said of that audible voice, I heard it. And I'm telling you that what is written in God's word is a more sure word of prophecy. So Peter was directly talking about that voice he heard from heaven. In other words, the written word is greater than the spoken word. What is written down in God's holy word is written in contract. And God said, it's not maybe, but it is absolutely 1,000% going to come to pass. Because I've written it down and I've given it to you in contract and I've signed it in blood. And that's what God was saying about his word. And what did God say about these days? Well, first of all, we know that he said there'd be days of testing and trials. He warned us of that. He said in the book of Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and said that in the last days, perilous times would come. Men will be lovers of their own selves, boasters, hate, hateful, blasphemers, despisers of those that are good. And we are seeing that come to pass right before our very eyes. It should not surprise anybody about the condition that our world is in right now. That our world is in a terrible place. That we are in the middle of what is still a pandemic that has been going on for nearly two years now. And I don't know what's going to happen. Will there be more pandemics? Will there be less? Will this be over next week? I don't have any idea what's going to happen. But I know generally speaking, the Bible says that the condition of the world is not going to get better. But he also said that while there would be the greatest measure of darkness, there would be also the greatest measure of light. He said that not only will the world get worse, but the church will get better. He said that these would be the greatest days of revival that the church has ever seen. From Joel chapter 2, in verse 23, Joel said, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the latter rain, sorry, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And then he said in verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and handmaidens in those days will I pour out of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Joel said there's going to be a former rain and then there's going to be a latter rain. And God is going to give the former rain moderately. In other words, it's going to come down in spurts. It's going to be a trickle. But then there's going to come down a latter rain. And then there's going to come a moment where God is going to send the former rain and the latter rain together at the same time in a short amount of time. And there will be a quick work that God is going to do upon the earth. And we call this the latter rain or the, 
you know, where, where, where God is going to just, you know, send the very last day revival. Let me tell you, we are, we are standing what is only what I believe is ankle deep, the very beginning parts of that latter rain where God is going to just downpour his spirit in. And he said, your, uh, uh, your vats are going to overflow. In other words, your churches are going to overflow with backsliders and sinners. And we're going to be baptizing people by the dozens and probably by the hundreds. And where thousands where we see the host, not only worldwide, but right here in America and right here in, the, uh, right here in the city of Liberty, Missouri. It is going to happen because God said it's going to happen. And it's going to happen because uh, God gave it written down in his word. He didn't speak it through an audible voice. Uh, he may have at some point spoken to somebody, but we have it written down in contract and signed in blood that it is absolutely going to happen. And then he said this in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now, We've seen a lot of great things in this building, in, in, in this very building, but the greater things are still yet to come. We haven't seen the last backslider pray back through. We haven't seen our last healing, miraculous healing take place. We haven't seen the greatest number of souls that will come in uh, during a season of revival. We haven't seen the greatest number yet. That is still yet to come. God is still going to pour out his spirit, and it is going to be greater than anything we have ever seen or experienced before. So I challenge you today, don't weep at the glory of the old house. Rejoice at what God has in store in the future. For God is expanding our borders and preparing us for a great end time of a harvest of souls, and it will surely come to pass. Amen. Amen. When God tells you to go, the safest place to be is in God's perfect will. In other words, it's never safe to stay when God says go. And furthermore, we miss out on what God's great plan is if we stay instead of go. Jesus said it like this from Luke chapter 17. Remember Lot's wife. So there was Lot, and then there was Lot's wife. And Lot had to physically be taken by the hand of the angels and drug out of the city. Don't look back. And had it not been for the prayers of his uncle Abraham, he would have perished with the ungodly. But Lot's wife looked back because her heart was still back in Sodom and Gomorrah. Her heart was still back there. And so, now there's a lot we can say about that, but the point of it is this, is that Lot's wife wasn't truly willing to be in God's perfect will. The safest place to be is, is in God's will. In, in the case of, of Lot and his wife, there was a, a part of them that said, well, you know, outside of the walls of Sodom and Gomorrah, we don't know what there is. In the mountains, you know, there's bears, etc., that live in the mountains, and, and, and there are other things that could potentially get us. And God was calling them to go out, to, 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 to step out of that place. Uh, because he knew the future of what that of what would happen to that place, and so so in that sense, Lot and his wife were called to go out into from their thinking into what was an unsafe place. But it goes back to what I said: the safest place to be is in God's perfect will, because God's always going to take care of you if you're following His voice. And furthermore, the hardest words to say are "God, I trust you completely." 
Now, most of us would say, God, I trust you. But how many of us would, would be honest with ourselves and would say, it's a lot harder to say, God, I trust you completely. Now, those words come easy. We sing songs about it. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. And when you trust God, it gives you peace about the situation, whatever it is. But, but to trust God completely even means trusting God when he sends reversals in your life. Lord, I don't know what's happening right now, but I trust you completely. And that is what God is calling us to do in this hour. Lord, I trust where you are leading me as, a, as an individual. I trust where you're leading me as a family unit. And I trust where you're leading our church as a church congregation. Furthermore, God was preparing Abraham to become Abraham. From father, which is what Abraham means, to father of many nations, which is what Abraham means. Abraham had his plans in Ur of the Chaldees. He probably had a nice home. He had a, he had, he had a good wife. He didn't have kids yet. He was barren, but maybe perhaps in his heart and his mind, he had reconciled that. After all, he was 75 years old. Probably even at 75, far beyond the years to which you would normally have kids. And so Abraham, in his mind, was kind of set in Ur of the Chaldees. So we have our plans, but God's plans are far greater than what our plans ever could be. And only when Abraham laid his plan on the altar and submitted to God's plan could God's perfect plan be born into his heart and be realized. And lastly, this is the last thing that I'll say about this. Where is Ur of the Chaldees located today? Well, it's located in a place in southern Iraq called Tel al Mukayar. <laughs> now, you probably have never heard of El Mukayar. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I'm not even pronouncing it correctly. But it's somewhere in southern Iraq. Where did God lead Abraham? You know it today as modern day Israel. The most important city in the world is Jerusalem. But Ur was great in Abraham's day. And Israel was unheard of and unborn as of yet as a nation. And there was, there was people that were inhabiting it, but it was not a great nation. It certainly was not a great city. And so God was saying, get out of this great place. And now some, you know, five, 6,000 years later, we can look back and we can see the ruins of what was once a great city. But the place where God was called, calling Abraham to go to, now has become not just a city, but the most important city in the world. Amen. You see, God who sees the past, present, and the future perfectly foreknew what would happen. And God was positioning Abraham to be part of that plan that God had in store. And let me tell you, we, we look around and we see that this building is great, this place is great, a lot of great experiences have happened here. There will probably, you know, be some, be some tears, uh, you know, maybe perhaps of sadness as we leave uh, this particular, but we're not going to leave it yet. We're still going to be here for, for a season. We don't know how long that season is going to be, so there's a little bit of the unknown that's kind of mixed into all this. But we don't know exactly how it's all going to pan out, but we know this, God has great plans for us. And he's not going to let us down because he promised in his word it will come to pass. And I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all 
flesh. And just like Abraham, that the place where God was calling him to would be far greater than anything he had ever left behind. Amen. God was positioning Abraham to be part of his plan. And let me tell you, I know this in my spirit, and, and I know that you believe it too, that God has a plan for liberty, and we, this church, this congregation is a large part of what God is going to do. And God is going to use, continue to use this church as he has in times past. So we don't know yet the greater things that God will do, but God's plan is far greater than anything that we could ever come up with. And so we must trust the process and know that it's time to step out. I know that you're probably sitting in your living room right now or maybe somewhere else. But as we close, I just want to invite you to kind of gather your family around, maybe join hands or put your arms around each other and just have a word of prayer. And I just want you to, I just want to invite you to pray this. Just pray, Lord, we trust you completely with whatever you're going to do in my life, with whatever is happening in my life right now. You know, you might be going through a lot of, you know, like a, a difficult season, but I promise you, if you will say, Lord Jesus, I trust you completely with what you're doing in my life right now. And if you will lay that on the altar, God will give you peace of mind and a peace of heart. Amen. Let's pray right now as we close. Lord Jesus, I pray right now for this church. I pray that you would just cover it, God, with your spirit, God. Lead us and guide us in the right way that we ought to go, Lord Jesus. Right now, God, as people are praying in their living room or in their car or wherever it is that they're listening to this, I pray for a special touch of your spirit and your presence with them, God, that you would confirm this word in their hearts, God, as we say, Lord, I trust you completely, God. might have been a bad week. It might have been a bad month. It might have been a bad year so far, but God, we trust you completely with what you're doing, and we trust that this is not the end, that it is only the beginning, God, that this is maybe the end of one particular season, but we are picking up on the road to something far greater, God, that we might be leaving what seemingly like Abraham might be leaving like an Ur of the Chaldees behind, Lord, but we're going into a land of promise. We're going into a land, God, we're going to walk the length and the breadth of it, and we know that it's going to do great things, God. You're going to do fantastic things there and your word is going to spread to the far ends of the earth and there will be a mighty drenching outpouring of your spirit God there will be a latter rain movement before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ which for his church for this we thank you and we praise you in Jesus name amen God bless you